0: Fatherhood is fascinating. One day, you're dad of the year, and the next day is, well, the next day. Welcome to Positively Dad, a podcast designed to help dads embrace the journey. Thanks for joining us for Positively Dad. My name is James Shaw. I'm your host. I'm a dad, and I thank you for listening today. My goal with Positively Dad is to help us grow as partners and parents and people, and I trust that the conversations we're having are doing that for you. We release two podcast episodes every week. The one you're listening to right now, it's, it's more of our traditional podcast where I talk with an expert about something that's going to help us get better. And then every Thursday, I release a dad talk episode where we talk to a dad about being a dad. So make sure you listen to both of those. Now, today you're in for a treat because at the end of the podcast, my daughter, Naomi, she's a second grader, seven years old. She's going to be on at the end. She's on the end of every podcast we release on Monday. She'll share the kid's corner with you. So make sure you stick around for that. And today we're going to look at something that that I'm real excited about, quite frankly, because you know the idea of Positively Dad's been on my mind for seven and a half years, eight years now, really. When my wife Terry said, Hey, I'm pregnant. I went, I want to be a great dad, just like you, probably. And that's why you're listening. So I go out looking for resources. And quite frankly, I couldn't find a bunch. There just weren't a lot of things out there for dad. So the idea for Positively Dad came to mind, and then it just sat until March of this year. So like seven years, I just held onto this idea and never implemented it. Finally, we have it out there. Well, this is a common thing, at least a trend for me, and it might be a trend for you, that we have great ideas, things we'd like to implement, stuff we'd like to make happen, and then it just never gets off the ground. For some reason, we can't get you know the idea into action, or we might get started on something and take some steps toward it, and then it fizzles out. And it turns out this is really common. And so I found a guy named Charlie Gilkey and he's written a book called Start Finishing, How to Go from Idea to Done. And I reached out and asked if he would join us here on Positively Dad so that we could look at, you know, what are those things that that we said, hey, someday I'd love to do this or in a perfect world, I'd like to do this. And how can we actually make it happen? And as we do that, what lessons are we teaching our kids and how are we showing them how to get things from idea to done? So that's what we're going to look at today. I'm real excited to have Charlie on. Charlie, thanks so much for joining us on Positively Dad.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited for our conversation.
0: Yeah, me too. So, I mean, we got to start with this. Every time you turn around, there's a new book out about how to be productive and you know how to get you know the most accomplished and get things done. So why should we read yours?
1: Well, I think that there are a few reasons you might want to read Start Finishing. Um, one of the major things that, that the book calls out is that there's a certain kind of work that we're just not getting to, that no amount of, you know, getting better at apps or to-do lists or just basic time management is going to help with. And so I call that work your best work. It's that work that makes you come alive, makes you feel like you were meant to be here, um, and really does change the world in important ways. And not too many of the productivity books actually go into that space. And talk about why that work is so difficult to do. I think another reason is that the book focuses on converting ideas into projects and it really jumps into the messy middle of getting projects done because the reality is is that finished projects bridge the gap between your current reality and the life you want to live in and the work you want to do. And you get there by, again, finishing projects, not necessarily just hacking away at a bunch of tasks and low hanging fruit and easier things. And so it really does galvanize. The reader to take stock of the different ideas that need to be converted into projects and making space on their schedule for those projects, building a team behind it, using their genius zones and really pushing it to done. So those are two good reasons. I could give more, but I, th- I think we can start there.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. And people should pick it up. I think what's fun about what you said is, you know, I, I imagine we have a lot of listeners. I'm sure you run into a lot of people that quite frankly, they just don't enjoy what they do. And there's something that's on their heart that they'd like to do. Like this podcast for me, it sat, you know, as an idea with me for seven years. And finally, you know, I've launched it and we're having fun with it. Um, I imagine that's true for a lot of people. And and I, I think the message is, look, if there's something out there you'd like to do that gets you energized, then then let's quit waiting and start getting after it.
1: That's absolutely the case. I think all too many of us take ideas and and sort of inspirations and aspirations and put them in what I call the closet of the soul, you know, where we just kind of tuck it away for someday, someday when we have more resources, more money, more time, when we have a better boss, when the kids are grown or when we figure something out. And then, then is when we're going to work on that idea or that project or that whatever. But that I, that day never comes on its own. It always comes because there's some particular point in day in the time where we say, you know what today? And that could come because we get. Exasperated about it not coming, and frankly, sometimes it happens because there are external catalytic moments in our life, like the death of a loved one, or yeah. you know, maybe just yourself and your partner, and you decide to have kids, and you're like, "Wait a second. There's this project or idea I want to do that if I don't do it in the next nine months, it starts to look less likely that I'm going to be able to do it in the amount of time. So we can have some of these catalytic moments. But yeah, until we say, "You know what? today is that day that I'm going to convert that idea into a project and get it on my schedule. It's just going to hang out in that space. And that's where I think a lot of regret comes from because that's what we get to at the end of our lives or maybe the end of a decade or a year where we look back and we say, you know what, I've been doing a lot of the work. I've been doing a lot of tasks. I've been busier than ever, but I don't feel like I've actually made progress on stuff that really and truly matters to me. That's what the book is trying to help us prevent is that regret of not getting to the stuff that matters, but it Mm -hmm. comes at the cost of, we have to accept that there are a lot of things we might otherwise like to do that we're just not going to do.
0: Yeah. Well, that's powerful. So here we've got this idea, we want to do something, make something happen. um, And yet we come up with all these reasons why it's not possible or why now is not the time. What are, I mean, what are those stories that we create in our mind that really keep us from taking action? And how do we break through that?
1: Well, it turns out there are five core universal challenges that um, keep us from really taking action on it. And so to set it up, I want just I want you to think about your life, where like as as if it were a sandwich, and the top layer of bread is really that vision you have for yourself, for your best life, the best work, and you just being that person you think you're supposed to be in the world. So that's the types the top slice of bread. The bottom slice of bread is your day to day reality grind. And for a lot of folks, there's a big gap in between those, a lot of air between that top slice of bread and that bottom slice of bread. So I call it the air sandwich,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but it's a mirage. Actually, those five challenges are what's in between those two slices of bread and in many ways, actively pushing them apart. So the five challenges, they are competing priorities, head trash, which is the self defeating beliefs, the cultural scripts and the stories you tell yourself about yourself that keep you from doing things. That's, that's what I call head trash. The third is no realistic plan. All three of those words being super important. No plan, a plan that's not realistic and something that's actually closer to a goal, but it's not actually a plan yet. Mm-hmm. Um, the fourth is too few resources. You know the old story. If I had more time and money, then I'd do the thing. I'd, I'd focus on that thing that really matters to me, but I got to make the time and money. And then the fifth one is poor team alignment. And by team, I don't just mean your work team or your coworkers. I mean the, the group of people in your life that we can align to help you live your life
0: more on purpose. Right. Even your friends or or your partner in your life, right? Those All of those things.
1: Friends, partner, it could be the neighbor kid that watches, you know, Mm -hmm. your kids, pets, and elders while you focus on doing some deep work, right? Right. It could be all sorts of different people that you can put on your team. And until you start actually addressing those challenges, you're going to remain stuck, right? Because for instance, if you have the value of autonomy or the priority of autonomy, and you also have the priority of, let's say, security, it might be really hard for you to start that business because in many ways, there's a lot of uncertainty in starting a new business, and that puts your security at risk but at the same time that it might advance your autonomy. And until you get that squared, you're going to remain stuck. Or until you square, and this is for so many of us, I think, until you square the importance of the meaningful stuff that's not economic, the meaningful stuff in your life that's not economic, with the importance of your economic work, you're not going to do things like maybe launch a podcast. It, you know, when you look at it, the numbers, the business model may not work, but there's meaning and importance to it that matters just as much as the dollars you might be making doing something else. And so until you get those things figured out, you're going to remain stuck.
0: And your day-to-day reality and your bigger vision
1: for yourself are just going to remain further apart.
0: Right. I joke with my wife that the podcast is just an expensive hobby. And... um you know, and and for me to learn and grow, it, it isn't, this is just not make money. This is not what I do for a living. And yet, it's an idea that we finally implemented. And I feel like there's a lot of people that maybe you've got to be willing to take that kind of risk—is that you're going to start something and just have the attitude that it's an expensive hobby to get off the ground, just to get you into movement. What do you think about that?
1: I think you're absolutely right. And I think what I really want to lean in and 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 constructively frustrate people about is what I call creative constipation, which huh. is the you know basic pattern whereby we take in new ideas. We take in new inspirations. Maybe it's that podcast. Maybe it's that TED talk. Maybe it's your friend that always comes up with great ideas. We take in those ideas and we don't do anything with them. And at a certain point, just like physical constipation, we start getting toxic. And, you know, as creative people, we're either destroying something or creating something. And if you're not doing your best work, if you're not doing the stuff that really matters to you and doing that creative work that it takes to do it, you're going to be destroying things. You're going to be destroying your relationships because you'll be resentful and frustrated and exasperated that other people are in the way of you doing what you want to do. You're going to destroy your resources and end up in this weird negative spiral that we that we all can be in, where we tell ourselves, if I had more time and money, I would do that stuff that really matters to me. But since I'm not doing that stuff that really matters to me, I'm going to, you know, squander my time away on Facebook or Netflix or You know, the vacuuming that absolutely has to be done right now, or I'm going to indulge in some retail therapy and maybe that new house, car, shirt or shoes are going to make me feel better. Mm -hmm. So we end up in this pattern whereby we squander the very things that we say if we had, we would do something else with. Right. And then the third thing is we destroy ourselves when the stories that we tell ourselves, you know, I'm not a finisher. I, I can't commit. I procrastinate. I don't have what it takes. I'm not being courageous. All those stories, all that head trash starts to compile on us. And so to your point here, yeah, I think when you look at where we're actually spending our time, energy, attention, and money, I would much rather someone say, you know what? Like This is an expensive hobby that makes me come alive, that I enjoy, that I feel has meaning and purpose, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to build a budget around it and be okay with the fact that it is a hobby than to pick something else that. Maybe makes a little money or maybe doesn't, but it's unfulfilling and just makes them feel like they're still
0: in that grind. Well, and my thought about it is, is that just might get someone to start. If, you, if you've if you got an idea in your mind and you go, you know, we're just going to see how it goes. Who knows? It could build into something amazing. And and really, we've got to get started. And, and, and I think you've brought up some good stuff. I, can we talk about head trash for a minute? Because when I look at your list, I go, if I were to rank them, and you may disagree, if I were going to rank them, Maybe one of them that stops people cold is head trash.
1: It is. I I think I would go to, if I didn't know anything else, I would either go to competing priorities or head trash. Uh Um, But head trash is such a prevalent one because, you know, we pick up stories from our family of origin. We pick up stories from TV and from our friends. And, you know, we pick up all of these stories. And the thing about head trash, James, is that it doesn't have to be true for it to work on you. If you tell yourself you're ter- you're a terrible writer, it's really hard to choose to do a writing project. If you tell yourself you're a terrible leader, it's really hard for you to volunteer yourself to start that nonprofit organization or to become a community leader. And it doesn't matter whether that's true, right? You can be a great leader, but if you tell yourself that, you're not going to put yourself on bat to even take swing at the things that are coming your way. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, your mindset can very easily be the upper ceiling for what you're able to do in the world Um, just because you won't take the swing. You won't get on base. And there's just enough of those missed chances where you realize a year later or five years later, like, wow, I didn't even swing. And now five years later, I didn't build up the competency. I didn't build up the experience. I didn't build up the courage to be able to be where I think I should be right now in my life.
0: Yeah. And then I I mean, I imagine then that resources are a big one, too. Either you don't have enough time or enough money to pull it off. How would you coach people through that?
1: It's always going. Well, the first thing I'm going to say is steal time from things that don't really matter to you. Steal Mm -hmm. time and money from things that don't matter for you. For instance, um, look at how much cable costs these days. Cable television. Right. And I don't know how much you're paying for your production on your podcast, James. We don't necessarily need to go in there. but. You know, that might free up 125, 150 bucks a month that you could spend yeah. on your hobby, right. right? That goes a long way towards certain types of things. Or maybe you decide that, you know, rather than watching football on the weekend or watching whatever sports you're going to do, maybe you steal three to four hours from that to focus on this other thing. And I think what we tend to too often do is be all or nothing. It's like, I'm either going to be able to do this full-time and it's going to make a living and it's going to be viable for me, or I'm not going to do it at all. Where there's all these shades in between of what happens if you consider your entrepreneurial venture to be a side hustle and forever a side hustle. It doesn't have to be full-time. It just can be something you want to do. What if your hobby is just something where you're like, you know what, four to eight hours a week, I'm going to focus on that. And it turns out that yes, we can get caught up in parasitis with other people who are doing it full- time and getting full- time you know sort of results from it, but just the fact that we get to indulge in this playwork, just in the fact that we get to indulge in this meaning making work, can be enough for us to reorient and provide a compass for the broader parts of our life so we start finding meaning and joy and happiness and progress in the other parts of our life because we don't feel frustrated in just this one part of our life,
0: yeah. A lot of, I mean, if you read a lot of things or listen to people, they say the way you win is you get up early, right? You got to get up at four or five in the morning and start the day. What are your thoughts around that?
1: I agree that that's true if you are a morning person. And there are at least three different chronotypes. There's the morning birds that we all know about. There are the night owls that we also know about. And then in the afternoon, I call them emus because I think they get their own, you know, we have larks. <laughs> owls and emus, which are those. So the birds that are in the afternoon, they really get fired up and that's when their power hours are. And so if you are a morning person and your power hours are in the morning, then yes, get up a little bit early. But if you're a night owl, don't do that. Like you're just going to beat yourself up and not actually do your best work anyways. Or if you're an emu and it's that afternoon thing, maybe you take meetings and you do email in the morning, which is against all the advice of folks like myself, right? Except for You can get all of that stuff out of the way and make the great power hour blocks in the afternoon where you can get your work done. So I don't think it's about when you get up, unless that win is really fitting your chronotype. I think it's how are you prioritizing your best time to go towards your best work? And if you do that, that's where you win. And I think all due respect to Covey and first things first, but I think people misunderstand first thing. They think first things first means first in sequence when it can actually mean first in priority. And so if you have those really great power hour blocks in the morning, prioritize it so that you do your best work in the morning. But if those come for you because you're a night owl at 10 o'clock at night, then reprioritize your life so that you can do that work at 10 o'clock at night and stop trying to beat yourself up and be something you're not.
0: As long as that's who you are, right? And it's not just an excuse to get out of doing the stuff you really need to be doing, right? If you're designed to work that way, then great. The, you know, I think the research says, do the important things first. And sometimes we might just use, well, I'm just an afternoon person, maybe as an excuse. So just understand who you are.
1: I would say that's true, right? Understand who you are. And that's one of the, you know, I give five keys in the book, of doing your best work And those five keys. It's a handy mnemonic, Im- I-A-B-C-D. So intention, awareness, boundaries, courage, and discipline. What we're talking about is awareness right now. Yeah, Like being aware that you are an afternoon person and then creating the boundaries, which is another one of those five keys, so that you firewall that afternoon time and you use it well. Now, if you say I'm an afternoon person, you create a boundary around it and then you don't do what you've said you're going to do. There's something else going on, probably competing priorities or head trash. Mm -hmm. But at least we can remove the, I think the debilitating story that people have about themselves is that they're procrastinating or they can't focus or they can't plan when reality is when you look at their schedules a lot of times james there's just no space to do the work Mm -hmm. there's not and so if you know let's solve against that first and then if we create that time in your schedule then you're not using it then we can move on to the next root challenge but you know i think when you look at the fact that doing these sort of best work projects that i'm talking about they tend to take two three focus blocks a week and focus blocks are just you know taking that power hour concept that I talked about and thinking in terms of 90-minute to two-minute blocks of time where you can actually dive into that project and get some stuff done. Right. Most projects take two three hours or three blocks a week to make progress on. If you don't have those in your schedule, you're not going to get momentum on that project. It's that simple. Right. So let's stop with the head trash. Yeah. Let's start prioritizing and making room on the schedule to make it happen. Okay,
0: so this sounds great, and then my real day happens. I mean, I feel like there is this, like, we all have the best intentions. This is what we're going to do. This is how it's going to be. And then air quotes reality shows up. So how? what's your suggestion on how we handle that? So
1: reality can show up in two different ways, right? Distractions and interruptions. And there's a difference, although we talk about them in the same breath, there's a conceptual difference between the two. Interruption is where a person, you know, child, animal, life, whatever, like literally walks in your room or walks into your space, interrupts you, tugs on the shirt claims your attention in that moment. That's an interruption. A distraction is anything that you allow yourself to do. So like YouTube is not an interruption. Facebook, (laughs) Netflix, not an interruption, right? They don't walk into your room, tug on your shoulder and say, hey, I, I need some milk right now. They are distractions. And understanding that means you allow yourself to be distracted, which means you have the power within yourself to not be distracted. So Part of it is on both of them, but I'll, I'll hang out with distractions first is what I call successive elimination. So you start eliminating the entry points of those distractions. So if you know, you get really distracted and you find yourself on ESPN or Amazon or wherever, there are plenty of site blocking tools. My favorite is cold turkey blocker where it won't allow you to go to those sites when you tell it to not allow you to go to those sites. And so you can schedule it so that from say eight o'clock to eight o'clock in the morning till noon, You can't go to those sites. Okay. Now you can't go to do that distraction and it makes you re enter yourself to your work. Now, if that's not enough, maybe you pick a different type of device or maybe you start longhand writing or maybe you go to whiteboards. Like you can back off the technology largely that allows you to distract yourself. So maybe you go to a different environment. On the interruption side, that's really more about boundaries and being clear with people around you that during certain times, you're not going to be interruptible and it could be that you turn your cell phone off or t- turn it on do not disturb you obviously turn off your email it might be that if you have the capabilities rather than working in your office where everybody disturbs you you walk three blocks away and go to the coffee shop where no one knows you right mm-hmm. And then you're right. able to get your work done so there's limit limited so I, I just want people to be intentional and strategic about the interruptions and distractions that are coming in and not sort of resign and throw their hands up in the air and say "Ah, you know life is happening to me. that's, that's, it can be true, but what we're trying to do in each of these, is the same thing that I was just saying earlier is we're trying to get to the point where you, when you're sitting at the desk or you're doing whatever you're doing, it's really you versus the task or the project at hand. And it's not all the stuff in between that's pushing you away from it. And if you get to that point to where you clear the room, you're at the coffee shop, your phones do do not disturb all the things, and you're still not getting the work done. Again, we go back to competing priorities and head trash. It could be that it's not an actual priority for you. Because think mm-hmm. about it this way, James: we don't need a productivity system, we don't need accountability abilities, we don't need life hacks to eat ice cream or whatever your favorite dessert is. We've got we that don't.
0: figured out. Yeah, you're right. We
1: got that figured out. But the, my point there is: is there something about our relationship to eating ice cream that we've made different than our relationship from doing work? And I mean, if we're really going to go, so there's a few things going on. In one. We enjoy the process of eating ice cream. Two, there's instant feedback. Three, it's simple, right? And so we can sort of hack that and say, let's look at your work. How can you provide some instant feedback, instant positive feedback in that work? How can you enjoy the process? How can we make it simple so that it, you know, sitting down to do the work that matters most is more like eating ice cream than it is the social emotional gymnastics that we got to do sometimes to get into the work at hand.
0: You know, I think you, you've, you've given us so many great points. And one that's resonating with me right now is if we look at these kind of five elements, then the next one that might be the one that holds you back is that, quite frankly, you're plan- you don't have a realistic plan. And when you brought it up earlier, you said all three words are important. It's got to be a realistic plan. It reminds me, I heard uh, Gary Keller say one time that we overestimate what we can accomplish in one year and underestimate what we can accomplish in five. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and it's about just having a plan. Talk with me about that, because I I bet people just go, well, we'll see what happens. And we really need a plan.
1: You're absolutely right. We We do need a plan, but we need a plan that's realistic. And so I'm going to kind of back into this conversation by starting with what doesn't work or what the challenges that we get into when it comes to planning. So what we typically do is we have an idea and maybe we start thinking about how we're going to make that happen. And we have that, you know, fun time of saying, you know, this I could do this by Friday and then I could do that by next Friday or whatever. Right. We set, well, they have that timeline and then we get busy with the work. But what we often forget is that project is one of many that you're carrying and you've already got commitments on deck. And so the first thing that we do is just say, Oh, I could do that by Friday. And then we look and like, Oh crap, I've got three other things due Friday. Yeah. What am I going to do now? And then we start the lifting and shifting. And so right. part of it is just understanding that whatever new idea you start bringing to bear, you have to reconcile that with the reality that you already are going through. And some people go on a no new project diet, right? Where it's just like for this next period of time, I'm not going to say yes to any new projects because I'm just going to finish the ones that I need to that I'm currently working on. And that's going to create space that we can then build a plan around. It's really hard to build a plan when you've got no space, no time, no money, no no attention to put anywhere, right? You Mm -hmm. got to hope. You may have a wish, but you don't have anything to use. So the first thing is really when you're taking on new ideas, really try to get to the point where you're saying, where does this live on my schedule? And if it can't live on my schedule, one, what do I need to get off my schedule? Two, is there something I can defer that's on my schedule? Three, can I drop something on my schedule? Or four, can I really put pause on this project? Again, go on that no new project diet, finish something that's on plate and then slide this new idea back into there. Yeah. Then we start getting into the idea of chunking, linking, and sequencing, which sounds harder than it is because we've been doing it as you've been playing with, with Lego blocks for you know however many decades you've been doing that. It's taking a project and breaking it down into small enough parts that fits your schedule. So just very simply, I, I talk about different ways of doing this in the book, but I want to leave our listeners with two different ways to think about how much time something takes. And this is when you're doing your daily planning or when you're doing your weekly planning want people to focus on two-hour chunks or 15-minute tasks. Two-hour chunks, 15-minute tasks. Because it turns out those two-hour chunks very much relate to those focus blocks I was talking about where that's enough time to get into something, make some significant progress on it, wrap it up, and move cleanly into the next thing. The 15-minute task is a reality check versus all the tasks that you have to do right now. So many people don't like the fact when I tell them that, responding to an email that actually requires some thinking takes at least 15 minutes. Hmm. Right? So if you wake up in the morning and you make your to-do list and you're like, email James, email Charlie, email Angela, that's 45 minutes of your time right there. (laughs) Right? And so it makes it really simple for you to look at your schedule and say, okay, where are, where is the open time on my schedule to send these emails? And if I don't have that open time, Which of these can I send or what am I going to do about that instead of like make believing that you're going to have, you know, six back to back meetings and still send all the emails that you need to to get them done. You're not. Right. right? And so that's where we start thinking in terms of a realistic plan that allows you to break down that bigger idea into ever smaller parts that we can get
0: onto your schedule. Love it. Okay, so let's wrap with this. And And, because we haven't really brought it up and yet this is who we are we're a we're a podcast for dads. So what would your message be with that perspective? What is it you want dads to know when it comes to what we've been talking about today? Do I get one thing or do I get three things? you Hey, you can say whatever you want.
1: One, being a good dad is being productive and it's one of the most productive things you can do. two whatever visions you have for yourself about being a dad, however you want to be as a partner, however you want to be to. Your kids convert those into projects, treat it as if it were a campaign or treat it as if it were a new hire. Like you have the skills that it takes to be the type of dad that you want to be. You just have to apply that skill to this domain of your life. And third is it comes down to time, energy and attention. And where are these blocks that you're spending with the people that you love? And like, if it's not on your schedule, it's not a priority. Mm -hmm. And if it's worth doing, it's worth planning to do.
0: Yeah, that's really good. Just as we ramp up, I'm just curious, what prompted you to write this? Because you've got quite the story. I mean, your, your life story is pretty awesome. And i would tell people, go to your website and read about you. What was it, though, that got you to write this book?
1: One, I wanted to help people. And two, I saw that there wasn't the conversation the way that I would want to have it in the space. And all too often, people were either focusing their lives on the economic work and forgetting about the work of their lives, their personal work. Or they had given up on the idea that they can change their life. And I come from a you know, philosophical tradition, and I'm a neo-Aristotelian in the sense of believing that we become by doing, which is another way of saying we pay for the noun with the verb. So mm-hmm. if you want to become a different noun, you want to become a leader, you want to become a writer, you want to become an entrepreneur, you want to become an awesome dad, there's some verbs that you need to be doing to make that work. That happen, so I just really wanted to give people a go-to guide to really start converting those ideas and goals into projects that they get done, so that they can really thrive. Because it's by doing these best work projects, by building this bridge between where we are and where we want to be, that we thrive.
0: Yeah. Well, and you say that you know this is about becoming the person that you want to be in the world. That's the that's the purpose here. How can people find you, and where can they get the book? All right. So you can find me at
1: ProductiveFlourishing.com. But if you're interested in the book, go to StartFinishingBook.com. You'll be able to download a free chapter to see if it's for you. Um, I do hope you check it out. But above anything else, just take some time this week, carve out some time to start pulling that idea that you've hidden away in your closet of your soul and
0: start finishing that. Yeah. Just pull it out and think about it and get it into some action. Where can people find you and connect with you on social media?
1: So best is going to be on Twitter at Charlie Gilkey. I'm also a little bit on Facebook, but if you want to have a conversation,
0: probably better tag me on Twitter at Charlie Gilkey. Thank you for taking the time out. This is really, really valuable. Good luck with the book and thanks for sharing with us today. Thanks so much for having me, James. Awesome stuff from Charlie. You know, the big one that stuck out to me was what stories are we telling ourselves? What are those, those things that go inside our head that keep, us from making these great things happen. Most of the time it's just something fake that we've made up that we buy into that quite frankly doesn't deserve to take up real estate in our brain. And so what if we can push through that and make it happen? And he's giving you some great ideas on what to do and I encourage you to follow him on social media and online like he mentioned. All right, well let's wrap up the way we always wrap up a podcast episode on Positively Dad and that is we're going to hear from Naomi, she's uh, our seven-year-old and our little second grader. And with uh, Halloween just happening this past week, she's got candy on the mind. Let's take a listen. What are the kids thinking? Time to find out in the Kids' Corner with your host, Naomi.
1: Hi, my name is Naomi Shaw, and today we will be talking about having too much sweets. If you have too much sweets, it might help you get a cavity or maybe lose a tooth that already it's a grown up tooth, And it can also make your tooth raw. That means that it's really wiggly and that it is never going to come out. You might get a tummy ache. If you get a tummy ache, that probably means that you have too much candy and just stay healthy and have sweets once in a while. That's it for Naomi's corn. Have a great day, bye.
0: Yeah, be careful because you might get a bellyache and you definitely don't want that, right? Hey, thank you so much for joining us for Positively Dad today. I trust that you got some value out of it, that you learned something, that you're able to go now and, and take some thought, idea that's been in your mind that you're probably passionate about and now you're able to turn it into something. I would love for you to be able to do that. So I trust you got some value. If you did, would you share this podcast with people that you know you know, post it on your social media pages, email it to someone, uh, wherever you're listening. If you would rate us, like we love five stars. If you would rate us, that would be great. Maybe even write a review. And then finally, we love connecting with you. So find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search Positively Dad. We're super easy to find. And we'd love to be able to connect with you there as well. We're always working to post some content that you like. And we post dad jokes that are pretty quite uh, that are really quite funny. So make sure you check those out as well. And would love to connect with you there. Hey, thanks for listening. I'm James Shaw. We'll see you next time on Positively Dad. Bye-bye.